Uh, we are, as people are going to get seated, you're, you're expecting me to say, let's stand and sing, right? But we're going to do things a little bit different order today, and there's a rhyme and a reason to it, and I hope you'll sense it at some point. But uh, we are going to begin our service now today. I'm going to ask Brother Ford uh, to come on up. James has been a, a member of our church since he was in sixth grade and has been on our staff for almost five years, and as we mentioned a couple of uh, weeks ago, is going to be entering a new ministry. And uh, since he has preached so much in front of us and before us, I asked him if he'd come and share a little bit today about that decision. And not so much just telling about a story going on in his life, but maybe let us know how he kind of walked with the Lord and sought God's will in that and how he and April came to that decision. I thought it fit well with January 1st because a lot of us at this time of year are some thinking about some decisions we need to make, some things we need to do, how we want to follow God into this new year ahead. So uh, you welcome James this morning and uh, he's going to start us with the sermon and then we'll worship after that. Thanks boss. Happy brand spanking new year to everybody. I hope you had a great, uh, a great week. We, we had an interesting week. We had our first Christmas with our baby boy, uh, and that was a lot of fun. And then I got sick, and that was kind of weird. And we had some friends in from out of town, and we entertained them. And all week we were making preparations to take a pretty big group of young adults to the Passion Conference tomorrow. Uh, and they're over here somewhere. Uh, And the entire week, I stressed out about how in the world I was going to share what I was going to share with you this morning, this morning. And so I hope you had a great week, too. And so what we're going to do this morning is uh, I have to share with you why in the world April and I would ever leave you. Uh, And for those of you who are maybe new or just visiting and couldn't give two handshakes about who April and James are and what they're doing, I have to give a pretty good sermon, fairly good sermon on decision-making and God's will so that you feel like you got your money's worth. Uh, And then I was trying to carve out a good period of time where we can just pray together as a family because uh, that's the emphasis for the Heights this year in 2017 is prayer. Randy's getting ready to start a sermon series saying if you've got time for one thing, make it prayer. And so if we have time for one thing here at the beginning of the year, it has to be prayer, right? And so we have a lot to accomplish, and I'll start with this bit about decision-making in God's will. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus took sin on himself so that we could be reconciled both to God and to what he's doing. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8, 9, 10 communicates that. You've been saved by grace. This is none of your own doing. It's a gift from God so that nobody can boast. And then it goes on to say that those who have put their faith in Christ, the, the church is God's workmanship created for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the work of Jesus Christ, the grace of God in Christ, doesn't just restore us to relationship with God, that is salvation. It also restores us to God's plans and God's activities. That's what, that's what salvation is for. We are created for good works, to participate in what God is doing. And very often, that's a very stressful thing for Christians. Because every time we stand at a fork in the road, every time we are, are trying to figure out what we're going to do next, we're very stressed out about whether or not it's God's will, Right? Uh, a career change, a, a relationship, a, a next step. We're always worried about, is this or is this not God's will? Is this going to take me outside of God's will, or is it going to you know, drive me further into God's will? And we want our plans and activities to be grafted into God's plans and activities. 
Oftentimes, that can be a stressful thing. And so there are lots of different principles that can help guide us in those moments. Uh, We've had that conversation from the pulpit before. We've shared about that in classrooms. Uh, You want to make sure that you do things like pray. You want to make sure that you do things like include godly counsel. You want to look for any commands that there are to obey. You want to make sure that uh, you're, you're making sure that you're driven by the right motives, by faith and hope and love, that you aren't driven by fear or greed or malice or anything like that. One of the greatest resources that I can think of, one of my favorite books, I keep a stack of these in my office. There are three books I keep a stack of because I just hand them out so often. One of my favorite ones is a book by Kevin DeYoung called Just Do Something. It's this small, you can read it very quickly, even right before you need to make a major decision. This is some of my favorite pastoral wisdom on decision-making in God's will. It's quick, it's accessible, it's profound. I actually wrote a uh, short review on it in our upcoming uh, Connection magazine, and so when, uh, when that comes out, you can look for that great wisdom there. Now, there are the, all these great principles for making decisions that draw us into, graft us into God's plans and God's activity. And at the end of the day, we need those principles, but we need more than those principles also, and that's what I want to focus on in this time. And what I mean is, it's like weightlifting. I can give you good principles for weightlifting. I can tell you to keep your knees behind your toes. I can tell you to lift from your knees and not from your back to have good form. But at the end of the day, if I point you to a 500-pound weight... There is just a a person who can lift that and a person who can't lift that. And the difference between the two is not what, what approach you have, what different principles you put into play, although those are necessary. The difference is how those two people have been formed up until that point that have shaped them either into a person who is or is not strong enough to make that move. And the same is true for all of the Christian life. We want to make sure that we are guided by godly principles, including when we're trying to connect with God's will. But at the end of the day, we also need to be shaped into the type of people over time who, when that time comes, when that moment of decision comes, has the strength, the eyesight, the, the, the Christian fortitude to do what needs to be done in that moment. And that's not something that you can backload real quick in that moment. Right? You can consult somebody real quick in the moment. You can read a book this small, that quick in the moment. But you can't, in that moment, load in just months, years of formation that makes you ready for that moment. And so very easily, the, the three things that I want to share with you in terms of using 2017 to be formed into the person who is ready, who is, who is, who is watching for their plans and activity to be caught up into God's plans and activity are simply give yourself to God's word, Give yourself to God's people and give yourself to prayer. I know those are not world rocking. I've always said my spiritual gift, that passage about stirring up by way of reminder, that's my spiritual gift, just repeating myself over and over and over again. But I want to give you the why for each of those things as it pertains to this idea of making decisions in God's will. First, we need to give ourselves to God's word because God thinks differently than we do. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says, My ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, we're just different. And so that means that a lot of our first instincts and the things that just make sense to us are completely wrong, right? They're completely backwards. And so the only way that we will have the instinct to second guess our first instincts is if we have had long periods of giving ourselves to the Word, giving ourselves to God's mind, His thoughts in the Bible, and seeing that He just thinks differently than us and being shaped by those thoughts. And you can't just do that in a moment. 
And so in 2017, I want us to give ourselves to the Word. We also need to give ourselves to God's people for a few reasons. One, because we need help. Two, because we need examples. And three, because we need voices. We often think of church as one more thing to juggle. We have our, our jobs, we have our hobbies, we have all the things we're engaged in, and we have church. And we juggle all these different things. And very often that means that the first thing that gets dropped when it's too much to juggle is church. But that's not the way that the Bible, that's not the way that God describes the community of faith. And in Colossians 1, verse 13, it talks about being transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. That it's not just one more thing to juggle. It is a a domain, a realm. It's described as a family. It's a place that you step into to juggle everything you're juggling. And in that context, God sends you help so that you're able to do more than you can. And if we don't give ourselves to that, if we juggle life and the church rather than juggling life in the church, it's very likely that God can put a path, a challenge, an opportunity in front of us. And we may look at God and our first response is, God, I can't. I can't do that. That's too much. And his first response might very well be, man, you, you could do that if you had help. You could do that if you were juggling life in the church. And so we need that help, but we also need examples because our understanding of what's reasonable is totally shaped by the people around us. And so God may be, he may put a, a surprising path, opportunity, challenge in front of you. He may call you very well, likely will call you to uh, make career decisions based on kingdom impact and how you can love your neighbor rather than how you can provide the most comfortable life for your family. He may call you, even after you've raised kids all the way to, adopthood, to uh, adulthood, to adopt or foster a kid. He may call you to, uh, to, to not retire when you could so that you can have a kingdom impact and a God impact in your job. He likely would call you to use your retirement to, to, to have a kingdom impact. And very often we can look at what God puts in front of us and says, man, God, no, that's, that's, that's not reasonable. And God's first response may very well be, people do that all the time. You're just not being shaped by any of them. And so we need those helpers, we need those examples, and last, we need voices, because very simply, very often the place where God speaks to us with greatest specificity is through his people. And so God can put a path, a challenge, an opportunity in front of us, and we may very well be scratching our heads thinking, God, man, I really wish I would hear from you on this. And God's first response may very well be, you aren't sharing life with anybody who I would use to speak into that. And so we need to give ourselves to God's word because he thinks differently than us. We need to give ourselves to God's people because there he gives us help. There he gives us examples. There he he speaks to us. And the last one is we just need to give ourselves to prayer. One, because prayer accomplishes things. But two, because sometimes when you pray, God just does spooky stuff. And it's not that God won't answer one prayer. You can pray one time and God can respond to that prayer. But very often what happens with us when we pray that one prayer and then we just move on is that our attention turns to other things, other things catch our eyes, and we might very well miss how and when God is answering that prayer. But when we persist in habitual prayer, when we pray over and over, when we continue to give things to the Lord, then we're, we're more watchful. Our eyes are calibrated to see exactly the moment when and how God is responding to our prayers. And so if we want to be a type of people whose plans and activity are grafted into God's plans and activities, we have to be diligent in 2017 and beyond to give ourselves day after day to God's word, to God's people, 
into prayer. So that's the sermon. I hope that if you don't know who I am, don't care about what we're getting ready to do, you got your money's worth. So for this next bit, I want to tell you how those three things uh, have shaped our path and have guided us to the next thing that God has for us. And then I want to spend some time with our church family just praying over 2017. So short version, hopefully. We'll see. This went long when I worked on it. Um, Hopefully the short version. Uh, So I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church. I grew up uh, reading the Bible and hearing the Bible preach. I gave my life to the Lord in middle school at the old building in this church, understood my need for Christ and gave my life to him. And from that time on, there was never a season that I had where I was outside of a local church or outside of the word. And that's not to say that I had it all together. I had seasons of self-righteousness. I had seasons of sin. But in all of those seasons, God was able to come in and correct and rebuke and, and guide my path through his word, through his wisdom and through his people, all right? And so I was growing in all of these things. I, I went to college, and I went to Virginia Tech under the pretense that I was going to do engineering. I even spent this, this weird semester as a, as a math major because I was looking at trying to get a good job, right? I'm going to college, trying to get paid. I'm going to get a good job, all that sort of stuff, right? That's why we go to college. That's a natural way of thinking oftentimes, and so I was, I, I went along that, uh, with that, one of my greatest fears from childhood, for some reason, was always that God would call me to, like, be a missionary or something. <laughs> no joke. Like, I just always had this fear that God was going to, like, have me just do, do something boring, like be a, a missionary or a pastor or something, right? And so all this is going on. I'm in college. I'm trying to work towards some kind of money-making career. Uh, and I go to my local church at college. And I'm sitting, in, uh, I'm sitting in my seat, and that morning, they just happened to have one of their missionary partners uh, in the church, and they were going to give them an update. So this guy, this couple, gets on the stage, and they start talking about their missions work. They start talking about uh, what they're doing, and I believe it was Africa. And he's up there sharing, and the entire time, I'm sitting in my seat thinking, why am I so scared of that? Why has that always been something that I've had a a knee-jerk gut reaction against. And so I'm, I'm thinking about this in, in the back of my mind, and the missionary and his wife sit down, and the pastor gets up, and the pastor had been preaching through Romans like the entire time I was at that church. It was like one verse at a time. Uh, but he was, preaching through, he was preaching through Romans, which is it's okay, you know, you can do that. Um, but uh, he, was, he was preaching through Romans, and that particular morning he happened to be preaching through uh, Romans 8.28. That was the verse. And he opened up with this illustration about how most people are much more scared to fly than they are to drive, even though many, 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 many more people die in car crashes than plane crashes every year. And the point of the illustration was that we are much more uh, comfortable and we think we are more safe when we perceive that we are in control. And right then, God answered the question that I was entertaining when the missionary was up. I was thinking, yeah, that's exactly it. There's somewhere in my heart, there is a distrust of God that if I gave him a blank check to guide my path wherever it may go, that he's going to lead me somewhere unsatisfying, that that I won't enjoy, that won't be fulfilling, all the way down the line. And they went on to uh, preach on Romans 8.28, which talks about how God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I was thinking, man, yeah, no, that's it. If God is working all things together for good, 
as one who loves him and is called according to his purpose, why in the world would I be concerned that God would not lead me somewhere fulfilling and that's right and that suits exactly how I'm made? And so I sent a text message to a friend of mine, uh, a, a Christian guy that I was sharing life with, was a student there at Tech with me. I asked him if he wanted to get breakfast the next morning. I said, man, God was blowing me up in the, ser- the service this morning, and I got to chop it up with you about things that were going on in my mind. And so we got breakfast the next day. He sits down, and I ask him, what do you know about Romans 8.28, though? And he looks at me and says, why do you ask that? I said, well, I told you, the guy was blowing me up in the service yesterday, and that's what he was preaching on. He said, that's weird. There's a group of guys, my, my friend, Brian, he said, there's a group of guys that I went on a mission trip with, and from time to time, we have a group text message, and just every once in a blue moon, we'll shoot each other a, chat, a text just to encourage one another, or we'll send a Bible verse or whatever. This morning, one of the guys in my group sent a text message to the rest of us that just said Romans 8.28. It's like, ooh, you know? And so, you know, we get our Bibles out, and we have our breakfast there, and we're eating, and we're looking at Romans 8.28, and we're just processing what God might be trying to communicate about just his presence and his plans and all that sort of stuff. And I finally got my thoughts together enough that uh, I went home, I went back to my apartment, and uh, I had this journal. I had this, this journal uh, that uh, I, I finally felt like I had some ideas and some thoughts that were clear enough that I wanted to put them down on paper. And so I got the journal out and I started writing just about some things that were going on, about my experience with the missionaries going up and the pastor preaching. And for the first time ever, I realized that at the bottom of each page, there was a Bible verse. Different one on each page. And I got about three pages into this entry, and I noticed that, and I thought, I'm going to check to see what was on the bottom of the page that I started on today. <laughs> no lie, Romans 8.28, down at the bottom of the page. If you don't believe me, I have it in my hands. You can come up to me afterwards, and I'll show you the date. I'll show you the page about the missionaries, Romans 8.28, right down at the bottom, right? So I have my little, I mean, God was doing spooky stuff, Right? And I know if you're a skeptic, if you uh, are just investigating Christianity, if somebody dra- dragged you here, that probably all sounds crazy, nonsense. That's fine. You can put that on the back burner. Uh, even what you see in Scripture is never that God uses spooky stuff to try to convince people of who he is. Oftentimes when God does stuff like that, it, it's just to encourage those who are trying to follow him that he is present, that he is active, he's watching, and that he, he, he's keeping track of them. And so that just sounds weird to you. Just put that on the back burner and uh, listen to the rest of the story. And so from that point on, God had my attention. I had a sense that, you know, he was working all things together for good. I wanted to write him a blank check and just see where he would take me. And so I started testing gifts for ministry. I started to, uh, I, I led a Bible study with uh, Wesley Southall, whose family attends this church, and he lives in Roanoke. Actually, it's New Year's. He might be around. Uh, I'll see at the next service. No. Tyler's shaking his head no. His brother's shaking his head no. Uh, but I started leading a Bible study with Wesley Southall, and uh, then after I graduated from tech, I did a, a ministry internship in Colorado and got to exercise some more gifts there. Came back here. I was engaged to my, wife, my now wife, uh, and we got plugged in in our college and career group. Got back in 2010. And uh, we just had a burden for that group. We wanted uh, the group that was in the room with us there to experience a lot of what we had experienced in college, this growth, this community, this, mature, this maturation in the faith, uh, and this ownership. And so we started to love on them and get to know them, to invite them over to our houses and to uh, pray for them and just get to know them and love on them a little bit. And meanwhile, I'm shopping for sem- seminaries. I actually... In, uh, 
thought about going away for seminary. I, I went and traveled and looked at other seminaries. Um, but God kind of just put it on my heart that, I don't know, I had a burden to minister to our church family, to spe- specifically that group. And so I thought, man, if God's putting a burden on my heart to minister to that group, then why, why would I leave to, to grow in those ministry gifts? And so I decided to go to Southeastern. It's in Wake Forest. I could drive there uh, once a week and take classes. And so I, I plugged in in our church, and uh, I was just a, a church member who was engaged in my life group. I was pushing go-karts over at uh, Swader's, and I could tell you some cool God stories about uh, how me and April were getting married with, like, no job, um, and God provided for us, but that would take us past our time. And so... God provided some work for us. I was pushing go-karts and doing seminary classes, plugged into my life group. And about a year later, Randy called me in and said, hey, what do you think about coming on our team part-time until you finish seminary? I said, sounds like a job. (laughs) I mean, obviously, it was was an obvious yes, right? I was already engaged with our church family and, uh, you know, and doing all sorts of things. It was what I was preparing to do. And so while I was in seminary, I just had this great time of growth where uh, I was exercising my gifts here and I was learning so many different things at school. Uh, and It was just a great time of learning ministry and doctrine. And while I was in seminary, I was exposed to uh, a book that has had an influence on me um, in a particular way. It's a, a book by Arnold Dallimore and it's a, a biography of Charles Spurgeon. And in the, uh, in the biography, there's, I mean, Spurgeon is a compelling life, and Dallimore is a great biographer. But the thing that stuck with me more than anything else is the table of contents is broken up into four parts. He broke this guy's life into four sections. There are the preparation years, the preparation of a man, his first years in London, he was a British pastor. He had a long, the next heading is the long period of mature ministry, and then the final years, just the close of this guy's life. And that, that structure, that, um, that way of breaking up Spurgeon's life always stuck with me because up until this point, I hadn't had any parting of the clouds experience where God, with a booming voice, said, I want you to do this with your life. And I just, God had always shown me one step at a time. And I always say that it's because if God would have shown me the long term, I would have pulled a Jonah and like ran in the other direction. But God's always shown me one step at a time. And I've always just tried to be faithful to take that step. And so I didn't know what I was doing. And very often, uh, that, that I, I was very self-conscious of being in those preparation years. And very often, that's how I would respond to a lot of your questions, right? I'll get up here and preach, and very often, I'll go to the back of the concourse like we usually do, and some of you would ask, oh, when are you going to take a church? When are you going to take a church? When are you going to take a church? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And my response has always been, I don't know if that's what God has. I don't know if that was what God has planned. All I know is right now, I'm trying to be as sharp as I can be for whatever God would have us do. And that mature ministry, if we're going with the biography, right? That's always how I would respond to that. And the way I understood what it meant to be as sharp as possible for uh, the kingdom, for whatever work that he would have us do in that middle part of our lives, is to be as, as sharp as possible, to have a strong gift and solid teaching. To just really know the Bible and to be able to preach it powerfully, to teach it clearly. Enter 1 Timothy 4. And 1 Timothy is an interesting book 
Because 1 Timothy is written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a young pastor. So this was written to Timothy. It was written for all of us. But I've been in a season in life where this book could basically be written straight to me. Right? And so I'm going to read 1 Timothy uh, 4, 12 through 16. And I just want you to, and we'll make it bear on everybody in a second. I want you to listen to it as if he is talking about James Ford. He says, he says this to James. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, focus on the reading of scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Other translations say your life and your doctrine. That's the title of this morning's sermon. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. And in this passage, Paul addresses both of the things that I just talked about, right? I, I was looking at this foundation. You grow in everything it means to be a Christian all your life. But there is something about a foundation, right? And I'm thinking, I'm in the, the preparation years, and I'm thinking of gift and teaching. Paul addresses both of those things. He says, don't neglect your gift. Let everybody see that you're progressing in that. He says, keep a close eye on your teaching. But the other piece, he says, is to keep a close watch on your life because the combination of your life and your teaching, watching both of those, will, will uh, uh, perpetuate your own salvation and those who hear you. And that, I think for many of us, the teaching bit makes sense, but the life bit doesn't make so much sense. But over and over and over again, that's how Paul thinks of ministry and the church, that the church is built on compelling teaching and compelling lives that are contagious. And that just started to just haunt me more and more and more, right? It makes perfect sense because what Paul says a couple chapters earlier in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, the purpose of my instruction is that all the believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart and a clear conscience and a genuine faith. That what we are shooting for is not informed people who, who, who just live skillfully, although that is a part of it. He says, I want, the, in one translation, he says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a, a pure heart and a good conscience and a just a sincere genuine trust of who Jesus is and what he's doing. And a lot of that is not just taught, it's caught. And that's why there are so many qualifications for pastors. Because it's not just a threshold of what you need to be so that uh, you can scrape by. The idea is to be a compelling life that can reproduce other compelling lives, to be compelling and contagious. And the more I thought about that, the more uh, it started to, to haunt me. And this is the reason why. One, I'm cautious by nature. I am a textbook overthinker. Good example of that. The first time Randy ever asked me to preach in our church, I respectfully declined. And we, it was a year later that I had my first sermon in our church because I was just cautious. I wanted to make sure that I was ready and I was prepared and that I was fit to stand in that moment and share with a large group of people from God's word. Right? 
And so as I started to perceive, man, that this foundation was being laid, this, this gifting and this teaching, and that that foundation was almost complete, my attention was called to an, an entirely different part of that foundation, which is the, the life piece. And my prayer has always been, God, don't let my, my gifts and my opportunities outpace my life. That I, I want to have this firm foundation of, of compelling teaching and doctrine, but also a compelling life that's worthy of being caught. And one of the reasons why I'm so cautious when it comes to all that and have always been so incredibly prayerful is because we have the exact opposite uh, set of values from the Lord on that one. Perfect example, we just had an election year in which the, both of the major party candidates, there were questions about their character. But for some reason are still in the running to hold the highest office in the land because of a perceived giftedness. And so whether it's our, our leaders, whether it's our athletes, whether it's our uh, pop stars or idols, oftentimes we could care less about character as long as the gifting is something that we can enjoy. And the same is true oftentimes of our spiritual leaders. That, that we don't really care what they're living like. We just want their gifting to be strong. But Paul says, man, it's an even foundation. The church is built on compelling teaching and compelling lives. And so I've always been very prayerful. God, don't let my gifts and my opportunities, from, even from my early days of seminary, because in seminary, you read a whole lot. And I read a lot by nature, a whole lot, right? And so it's very easy to get real sharp. But a lot of you who have walked with Christ for a long time know it takes a long, slow time to grow in maturity in Christ. And so all of that kind of came to a climax, all those concerns, all those prayers, all those desires for a firm foundation before the, 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 the mature years of ministry came, all that came to a climax uh, a couple months ago in October. Randy was in Colorado, and he was doing his yearly planning for our church. He calls him from Colorado, and we have a conversation about 2017. Uh, and it was about uh, some ways that I would be involved in 2017 and some more opportunities for me to exercise my gift. We hung up the phone, and from that conversation, I revisit this conversation with the Lord. I start praying. I say, okay, Lord, in my mind, this is, this is how I'm thinking. I finished my Master's of Divinity. I'm getting ready to finish my Master's of Theology. We just had our first kid. I'll be 30 next year. There seems to be uh, this, this increased opportunity to exercise my gifts. It looks, by, by everything that I can see, that we are getting ready to move into that season of mature ministry. I just, still feel like there's more that I want for this side of the foundation to be equal, that, that, that I want my life to be more compelling in these different ways, more solid in these different ways. And it seems like the foundation is getting ready to be fixed, and I'm going to move into this next season. Had that conversation with the Lord on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday, I got a text message to go to breakfast on Friday. Went to breakfast on Friday with a guy, played 21 questions, played 42 questions, played like a bajillion questions. At the end of the line of questions, he asked if I would come work for him. So I had to go home and tell my wife, uh, who was nursing a three-week-old child, that uh, God put this opportunity in front of us for our consideration, uh, that we would have to pick up and move to Richmond, and that we would have to uh, leave familiarity, leave church family, all that different stuff. And the reason why we ended up saying yes is because it seemed like this was the answer, not just to a long season of prayer, but especially to that one week of heightened prayer. This is the gig. My wife and I won't be leaving to go very far away. We'll be going to Richmond. The job, as many of you have probably assumed, uh, it, or maybe contrary to popular assumption, is actually not ministry at a local church. 
It's a ministry with a church planting network. For those of you who aren't familiar with that terminology, when guys, when pastors want to start a new church, oftentimes they partner with a church planting network. And so it's a group of people who help train and assess uh, and, and resource and equip guys who want to start new churches, usually in unchurched areas. And so my job would be to join this group of people who have planted churches before to help resource and equip people who want to start new, uh, new churches, plant new churches. And on face value, that doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense. I know because I've told this story to you guys, and you always look at me crazy when I share that part of the story. What do you mean you're not going to be in a church? What do you mean you're not going to be teaching? Are you, are you sure you heard from the Lord right But hopefully you see, I mean, just the, the understanding God's upside-down economy, he cares about a life and maturity more than he cares about the exercise of a gift, that he wants a firm foundation for both, that we've been uh, praying about this for years, April and I both, and especially in this one week, and it seemed like that was the response of God to say, here's a season where you can put a, a hold on the exercise of your gift, learn some things you don't know how to do, which we're excited about to learn what it looks like to mobilize people for the kingdom because church planting is a great task for the modern church. But aside from all that, in so many different ways, I wish we had time to share. April and I just have a sense that from, from doing the work we're doing to being in the community we'll be in to learning life and neighbor love in the city proper, that we will just be shaped in incredible ways to be the people that God wants us to be for that season of mature ministry. That's the shortest version that I can give possible. <laughs> I, want us to, I want us to have a time of prayer. I'm going uh, to give the musicians the wink so that they can start to get in place and do what they need to do. But the last thing I want to say is that we are incredibly thankful. We have a strong sense that this is what God has for us, that this is going to be the cap of our education, our formation as individuals, uh, our, our understanding of kingdom dynamics in so many different ways. But we leave with a heavy heart because we genuinely love our church family. I, I think you guys would be surprised, shocked at uh, the statistics of how many people fall out of ministry because they came out of seminary and the first church that they took beat them up so bad. And some of you um, may have been to those churches at some point or another. And that has been the exact opposite of our experience with our church family. You guys, by your lives and by your words, have been nothing but a great encouragement to us. And we love all of you guys very dearly. It's not going to happen. And we love all of you guys very dearly. We are thankful to the Lord for you and your encouragement, for the family that we've had here. We are thankful to the Lord for uh, the pastoral team here and how shaping they've been for us as a couple, me as a man, me as a minister, and the fruit one of the things that we've said over and over again, that there are people who are more godly, people who have worked harder, people who have toiled longer, and who have not gotten to see the kind of fruit that we've gotten to see, especially in our pet project that we started when we very first got here with the, the young adult ministry. I know for some of you high school uh, juniors and seniors, you are bummed that we are leaving, and you are looking forward to taking that next step. I'm trying to tell you, the group that we are leaving behind in the college and career group for you high school juniors and seniors are rowdy and bout it, and if you give yourselves to them, we'll help you grow into mature manhood in Christ. And so plug in when, you, when the opportunity comes. You guys have been nothing but family to us, and so I can't think of any better way to 
end our last time, my last time on this platform. I can't think of any better way to start our uh, year than to have a t- family time in prayer. So I'm going to invite you uh, to, to make moves, to kneel at your seat. Uh, if you'd like to do that, if you want to kneel somewhere where there's carpet, you can come up to the steps, and we're going to have a time of prayer. So make whatever moves you want to make. Uh, and I just want to take the passage that we looked at today, 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge. And I just want to pray that God would grow us into that in this year, that he would form us into the type of people who grow up into that charge and who can have their plans and activity grafted into what he's doing. And so you can continue to make whatever moves you want to make. If you just want to bow your head at your seat, I just want to have a time of prayer. Father, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for the ways at which you are at work here, the blessing that they've been to me. We thank you for a new start, a fresh year. At the end of the day, we can make a fresh start any day because your mercies are new every day. But we thank you for the reminder that comes with a new calendar year that we can start something new. You have said that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. We confess that that is not always the case, that we go through rhythms, that we, we, we go through life, and we do church things sometimes, or sometimes we have seasons outside of church, but we don't always love our neighbors, our enemies, the people in our household that we don't always give ourselves to one another for the purposes that you have given the church. We pray that you would help us to grow into that. We confess that we don't always have pure motives, that we don't always do the things that produce a clear conscience, and that sometimes we have a manufactured faith in Christ that we don't actually trust who he is. We confess that all those things are the case, but we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace and your kindness toward us. We thank you for your patience. And it is our prayer that in 2017 you would grow the heights, that you would grow me in April, anybody visiting in this room, anybody out at Midlothian, anybody listening to this, that you would grow us into the type of people who just love by instinct. Pray that you would grow us into people with pure motives and who live the kind of lives that produce just a clear conscience, that still cling to your grace, that still confess sin, that still stumble from time to time, but that we have a clear, easy conscience. I pray that we would grow up into a genuine Holy Spirit-given faith in who your Son is, that more and more we would see what He's like and that our instinct would just be to give Him everything because we see every reason in the world why He is trustworthy. I pray that you would give us that. I pray that you would put a Holy Spirit fire in our bones to give ourselves to your word, to your people, and to prayer in this year. Because who knows what you would do if we would give ourselves to those things. I pray that when the moment of decision comes for each person in this room, for each person listening, that we would be shaped and prepared for that moment. That we would be strong people ready for the moment because of how you have shaped us by those three means. Pray that all of our efforts will be greater than the sum of their parts, that you would bless these things and that you would grow us all up into maturity. Pray that you would be pleased by your children praying 
pray that you would be pleased by our dependence on you and that your response would be to bless that. into every heart an area of growth for this year, whether it be how we love, how we engage your word, how we engage your people, how we engage in prayer. If we are neglecting those things, reveal that to us. You don't give us guilt. You give us Holy Spirit conviction and a sense of excitement and urgency about pursuing those things. I pray that you would. Pray that you would uphold us with the willing spirit. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.